good morning, OCC. How you doing? Man, it is good to see so many of you here with us today in the room. I know we've got a lot of people joining us online from all over the place. Whether you're here or you're there, we're glad you're with us this morning. And last week, we started a series on Jonah, and we're going to continue that series again this week. But I want to bring us up to speed to get us into the spot where we're going to start today. I want to recap where we've been. So if you weren't with us last week, I encourage you to jump online after the uh, after this service and watch last week's message uh, to put this one in context. But last week, we uncovered that God had gone to Jonah and said, hey, Jonah, I want you to go preach to the people in Nineveh. Go to the city of Nineveh and preach against its wickedness. Now, the city of Nineveh was filled with people who were mean, nasty, cruel people. They were they had this reputation for being some of the nastiest people around. And they were known, they were famous for their cruelty. And they were famous for how they would torture the people they conquered, even the women and children. They were famous for torturing women and children. And so Jonah did what many of us would do. He says, uh, God, I don't want to go there. That is a terrible assignment. So Jonah jumped on a boat and headed the opposite direction. All right, instead of going to where Nineveh is and what is today Iraq, he headed towards the southern tip of Spain, a little bit more of a, uh, you know, nice climate there, the southern tip of Spain, kind of a vacation area. And Jonah headed the wrong direction, headed the opposite direction of God. And we don't know exactly when it happened when he was on the water. We don't know exactly how it all came about. But when Jonah was on that boat heading the wrong direction, God sent a storm to get Jonah's attention to wake him up and to bring Jonah back the other way. And so there is Jonah on this boat. He's down on the bottom part of the boat. The boat starts rocking and rolling. The ship is going to be ripped apart. The guys on the ship start freaking out and they start praying and not Jonah. He's sleeping. The crew is praying. Jonah's sleeping. And so finally they come to him. They figure out that it's Jonah's fault that all this is going on. They're like, Jonah, what's up, dude? And Jonah's like, well, I got to got to confess, um, this is all my fault, but here's the deal. Just throw me into the sea and it's all good for you. The guys look at him and they're like, Jonah, that is a terrible idea, bro. We're not going to do that. So they try everything else to save Jonah, to save their boat. And then at the end of the day, they're like, oh, we got no other option. Jonah, we're sorry, but see ya. And they toss him overboard. And that's where we pick up the story today. Jonah chapter 1 ends with this verse. Now the Lord had arranged for a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was inside the fish for three days and three nights. Now don't miss this. God had arranged for it. This was God's doing. God arranged for that to happen. If your parents read you Bible stories as a kid, if you were at all connected with the church when you were little, if as a parent you have come back to church or just started going to church and you've begun reading Bible stories to your kids, you are probably familiar with this part of Jonah's story. A lot of people aren't familiar with the other parts of Jonah's story, but this is the famous part of Jonah's story. He gets swallowed by a fish. Jonah and the whales, a lot of what people talk about. And so you might have this going through your head, right? You, you might have a remembrance of Jonah in the Veggie Tales movie. Right now, if you're familiar with this one, an asparagus stalk has begun singing songs in your head. And his friends, Bob and Larry, a tomato and a cucumber, are singing with them. And they'll be singing there the rest of the day. You're welcome. Now, for some of you, it doesn't conjure up images like that. For some of you, this story of Jonah just brings up doubt. 
It, it did for me before I began following Jesus. It's a phenomenal story. A lot of people have scoffed at it. A lot of people view Jonah with the same credibility as they view Jack and the Beanstalk or Pinocchio. It seems too hard to believe. I, I've had at least one guy tell me that Jonah is the reason that he does not believe the Bible, that he can't follow Christianity. Because for him, the story of a man being swallowed by a fish and then regurgitated a few days later alive was just too much for him to swallow. Yeah. You knew it was coming, right? You did, come on. But it's true. A lot of people have thought, man, that's, that's just too much. There's, it's too phenomenal. It's too outlandish. There's too much skepticism that I have to believe into that. So I want to let you know, if you're one of those people, I want to give you an out today. I, I was once there myself. So even if you have a hard time swallowing the story, even if it's too much for you, I want to invite you to hang with me anyway. Because I think there's still something that God has for us. Even if you conclude it's a parable, even if you conclude it's a myth, I think God still has something to teach us, even if. Now for me, I do believe this story. I believe it because Jonah is presented as a historical figure in a historical context, in a historical place, doing things that we see God doing in other spots. And he's referenced and referred to by other ancient writings. Jesus himself references Jonah as a real person he references these events as real events. He even likens his own resurrection to what Jonah experienced in that fish. And Jesus was, was making this comparison there. But the biggest reason I have to believe this story of Jonah is simply this. Miracles are easy for God. <laughs> it's that easy. And some people say, well, you know, sometimes you're trying to figure out how miracles work because we want to try and figure out how God might be able to work within our natural system or within the ordinary things we have. But that misses the point of what God is doing when God performs a miracle. God is the God of the supernatural. He does super things within our natural order of things. God is the God of the extraordinary. He does extraordinary things with the ordinariness here. And so we can't explain it away. We can't figure it out by science. And that's the nature of what God is up to, is God demonstrating his power over it. Listen, I believe that if God created the world and everything in it, as the Bible tells us he does, God has, then why would I have a difficult time believing that God can control what he has created? What, what kind of God would not be able to control his creation? What kind of God would I serve if that were the case? And Jesus himself proved again and again and again that he could supersede the laws of nature. Jesus made blind people see. He made deaf people hear. He made lame people walk. He made mute people sing. Jesus even showed that he could control the winds and the waves and the storms and even the fish in the water on more than one occasion. So if God can do this, then God is the God of the impossible. And I believe God is the God of the impossible. And nothing is impossible for God. And because of that, I can believe this. But even if you're not convinced, even if you're still skeptical, again, I want to invite you to hang with me. Even if you believe this is just a myth, think of it as a myth with a message. Even if you think this is just a parable, think of it as a parable with a point. And hang with me because God has something for all of us to learn in this. So let's pick it up in Jonah's story. Jonah chapter 2 verse 1. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from inside the fish. Duh. <laughs> He's in a fish. You bet he prayed. He prayed like he had never prayed before. I think the first thing that he uttered, and not here in the text, but I think the first prayer that Jonah prayed was, 
help. (laughs) He's inside a fish. He's been drowning. What's going on? He prayed like he had never prayed before. But it's interesting to note that this is a turn in Jonah's story. When Jonah was on the boat and all those other guys were praying, they were up above, they were praying, they were trying to figure out what was up. You remember what Jonah was doing? He's down below. He's sawing logs. He's dreaming of the beaches of southern Spain. He's dreaming of a life away. He's dreaming of getting away from Nineveh. He was, he was snoozing. Why? Why was he not praying? We don't often tend to pray when we run from God, do we? I mean, that's true in any relationship, isn't it? If, if we are disobeying somebody, if we're trying to distance ourselves from someone, if, if a parent has asked a child to do something and the child is disobeying, the, the child doesn't often call the parent at that moment. When you're late for curfew because you've chosen to be, you don't call your parents and be like, hey, I'm not coming home because I'm disobedient. If you do contact them, it's because you're making up some lame excuse to try and convince them, right? I mean, that's how it works. So Jonah, like most people, had not had much of a prayer life as he was running from God. But suddenly, when the world is falling apart, when everything's in chaos, when everything's unraveling, prayer in that moment begins to look like a really good strategy. We experience a resurgence of prayer in our lives when things start falling apart, when our running causes chaos. And friends, I wonder what it might be like if If instead of going to prayer when everything's falling apart, if we prayed regularly with that same kind of desperation, if we approached God every day at the start of our day, whether it's sunshine or storm, and we didn't just use prayer as a means to go to God when we needed him to fix something, but we used desperation and prayer to go to God to ask him to steer our lives, not just fix our lives. What might our lives look like at that point? Might we have Less moments that need fixing. I don't know. Maybe. So let's continue on in Jonah's story. Jonah continues to pray. And and remember, this is Jonah's prayer right after he has basically walked away from God and said, forget you, God. You you want me to go there, but I'm going that way. You you want me to go to those people, but I don't want to go to those people. I'm going to go to somewhere else. Forget you. And then Jonah finds himself in this fish and he cries out to God. He says, I cried out to the Lord in my great trouble and he answered me. I called to you from the land of the dead. The land of the dead. That's a euphemism for hell. When we look in the Hebrew language, the original language, he's saying, I was in the pit of hell. I was standing at the gates of hell and I cried out to you. And God, you heard me. For don't miss these two little moments. God answered him. God heard him. Because what's true for Jonah there is true for you and me also. No matter what situation we're in, we can cry out to God and he hears us. The God of the universe bends low to hear you and me when we call on his name. The God who hung the stars in the sky, the God who holds the galaxies in his hand, the God who is all-knowing and all-powerful and everywhere present, the supreme judge, the holy one, the one who is beginning and end and everything in between, that God hears you and will answer you. Even when, even when we've run from him. Even when we've made a mess of things, even when we're in that hellish spot, even when we've said, forget about you, God, even when, he will hear us, he will answer us and respond. Let's continue on with Jonah's prayer. 
And, and remember, this is a snapshot of Jonah's prayer. He's in the belly of that fish for a few days. This is a sum, summary of what he was praying, along with, help! He says, God, you threw me into the ocean depths, and I sank down to the heart of the sea. The mighty waters engulfed me. I was buried beneath your wild and stormy waves. And then I said, O Lord, you have driven me from your presence. Yet I will look once more toward your holy temple. And that word yet, he's signaling there's something coming. He is having this turning point. He still has hope. I'm going to look towards your temple again. And even in that moment, he is turning his gaze towards God. He says, I sank beneath the waves, and the waters closed over me. Seaweed wrapped itself around my head. That is a terrible word picture, isn't it? He's got seaweed wrapped around its head and then all of a sudden this fish swallows him up. He's crying out to God from the pit of hell. This is Jonah saying, God, my life is desperate. I I need you. I'm dying, literally. God, save me. Save me. And God was allowing Jonah to get a foretaste of why Jonah's mission was so important. I think in this moment, God is saying, Jonah, do you understand now why I want you to go to Nineveh? Because if you don't go, if they don't know, if they don't realize the fullness of their wickedness, this is where they'll end up. This hellish place separated from me. And God desires that no one's story should end. Jonah, later in his message, or in his prayer, prays these words. He says, those who worship false gods turn their backs on all God's mercies. This phrase, all God's mercies, can also be rendered on God's pursuing love. The love of God that chases after us, it pursues us. Keep in mind, Jonah's trouble was all trouble of his own making, trouble of his own creating, because he had chosen to go away from God. And, and Jonah had turned his back on God. But what this tells us is we turn our backs on God's love that pursues us. Yet God's love still pursues us. God's mercies still come after us. Friend, God created us for a purpose. He created you for worship. God designed you specifically to worship and specifically to worship him. We look around at the world and we see We see race and ethnicity, we see social status and economic status and educational status, and we see where people live and locations and nationality. God looks at the world, he sees two kinds of people. He sees all those things, but above all those things, God sees two kinds of people. He sees those who worship him and those who don't. Those who worship God and those who worship other things. Now, where are you? Where are you? We we have all been created to worship God. But all of us, every single one of us, has chosen to worship other things. When the Bible talks of sin, that's really the essence of what sin is, is it's giving our worship to something else, giving something else the priority that God alone deserves in our life. God deserves this priority, and we put something else there, relationship, fame, money, whatever it is. And at the end of the day, all those things are really to put ourselves there, that we worship ourselves. Instead of God. Because all those other things are self-serving. We've put ourselves in the priority that God alone deserves. That's sin. 
And when we do that, we turn our backs on God. If God is here, we turn our backs. And some of us do this with the whole of our lives. We say, God, I just don't want anything to do with you. Some of us say, oh, God, I'll, I'll worship you. Some of us come to church every week. We're very involved in things. But there are certain areas of our life that we say, well, God, you can't have this part. That part, I'm turning my back on you. You can't have that. I know because I was there for the longest time. And it's so easy for all of us to get there. That's why we need to do life with each other, to help each other see those areas of our life and to get back. But the beautiful thing is that while we turn our backs on God, God never turns his back on us. Whether we take 10 steps away from God, he's right there pursuing us. Whether we take, we run from him for 10 miles, he's still there. 10,000 miles, God, it's still right there. And the moment that we stop running and we, instead of turning our backs on him, we turn back to him, God is right there pursuing us, waiting for us, calling us back to himself. This beautiful picture of how God does not run from us, but runs to us. You cannot outrun God. You cannot run from his mercy. It's right there. You can deny it, but you can't hide from it. Now, I don't think, Jonah, I I can't prove this. This is speculation, but I don't think Jonah intended to run from God indefinitely. I don't think Jonah wanted to turn his back on God for good. I think Jonah just wanted to turn his back on that mission and on that moment. But I think Jonah was probably thinking, you know, when I get to Spain, I get to that beautiful Mediterranean area, and I'm, I'm hanging out on the coast, uh, God, we'll rekindle this thing then. Not in Nineveh, but we'll, we'll do it over there because that's a good spot. We'll, we'll hang out again there. And I think a lot of people are doing this. I think some of you might be doing this. You're running from God. You just hit the pause button. Well, God, after high school, we'll, we'll kick this thing up. But, but I got my buddies and I got my, maybe you got your studies, but I got my sports, I got my music, I got my girl. I got, I got all these other things going on right now. God, there's not a lot of room for you. Like, we'll, we'll, we'll kick this thing again when I'm, when I'm an adult. You get into college and, hey, God, later on, because all those other things are still there. Maybe, maybe the single life. God, just give me a few more years of, of enjoying myself. And then we'll, we'll kick this thing up again. Then I'll, I'll, I'll holler back at you and we'll, we'll, be, we'll be buds again. Maybe once I make enough money and, and once I get comfortable, once I've got enough stuff set for my family and I don't have to worry, then, then God, I can put some spiritual priorities into place. So ooh, I, I'll, I'll holler at you when I'm ready. Yeah, just hold on a moment or two. The problem is people who run from God like that don't often realize that the winds and the waves and the currents that sweep them away from God create this incredible resistance on the return trip. And while God never turns his back on us and God never runs from us and God never gives up on us, a lot of times what we find and what I've found in ministry is that a lot of people end up giving up on themselves and giving up on God. But even in those moments when life begins falling apart, God is desperately crying out to you to get your attention, to draw you back to himself. And God will do whatever it takes to do that. And oftentimes it looks like discipline. It comes in the form of discipline. But the author of Hebrews tells us this. It says, my child, don't make light of the Lord's discipline and don't give up when he corrects you. For the Lord disciplines those he what? He loves. Is God doing something in your role? Is God rocking your world? Is God putting roadblocks in your path? That's not God's anger. That's not God's wrath. That's his love. God is loving you. 
Uh, God loves you so much that he's willing to put obstacles and storms and pagan ship captains and fish to swallow you up, to bring you back to him and to bring you back on mission with him because he loves you. God will put obstacles in your path to wake you up. And our God is the God of the impossible. So he will go to great, extraordinary, supernatural lengths to get you back on track with him because he desires to have you with him. I I like how Andy Stanley, pastor and author, says it. He says, God does not want to pay us back. God wants to bring us back. That's what God is attempting to do. So if your world is a wreck, maybe God is just trying to bring you back to him. If God is making it difficult for you to run from him, that's just God loving you. He doesn't want the exit to be easy. God doesn't want to make it easy. God doesn't want the path to be smooth for you to go the wrong direction and wreck your life. Listen, God's not trying to wreck your life if he's putting obstacles and discipline in your life. He's not trying to wreck it. He's trying to save your life because a life apart from him is a wreck. And it might seem fine for a while, but eventually you're going you're gonna to find yourself in that hellish spot. He's trying to save your life. He wants to bring you back to him. If there's one giant theme we see through the Bible, it's that God loves us and desires to save us. That God doesn't want anyone to have their story end where Jonah was crying out from the pit of hell. That's not where he would desire our story to end. God wants to respond to you. If your life is in trouble, if you are have made a record of things. If you call out to God in the midst of your trouble, God will answer you. No matter what kind of trouble you're in, no matter if it's the trouble that you've made of your life, if you call out to God in your trouble, he will hear and he will answer. Now, how long will it take him to respond? I don't know. (laughs) I don't know. How will he respond? I don't know. Does it mean that you won't face discipline and challenges? Not necessarily. You might face some great consequence. You might find yourself going from a boat to a fish. But that's God's love. It it does mean this. It means if you call out to God, he will answer you and he will bring you back. He has not turned his back on you. Now, I've been at this long enough that I could tell you many, 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 many stories of people who've become disillusioned. That when they have called out to God in their great trouble... They become disillusioned because God doesn't answer in the way they want or God doesn't answer in the timing they want. But God has his agenda and he's bringing you to his agenda. Don't try to put God on your agenda. Don't try to put God on your timeline. God will do it in his timing. Notice that God does not act immediately on Jonah's behalf. Jonah's crying out to him. I cried out to the Lord of my great trouble. I cried out to the Lord from the pit of hell. And he heard me and he answered me, but he left me there for three days. God's discipline is loving, is compassionate, but it's not necessarily light or easy. He let Jonah marinate in the belly of a fish for three days. That's not a light sentence. Think of being stuck anywhere. Just think of being stuck in a place you can't get out of. You are there. You're not sure when you'll be able to leave. It's almost like quarantine, isn't it? We can all kind of imagine that. But imagine if you were stuck in an elevator for three days. Imagine if you were on a small plane stuck on the tarmac for three days. Imagine if you had 
used a gas station bathroom on a road trip and you were stuck in there for three days. Jonah is in this fish. I I, I want you to feel and hear and see what this is like for Jonah. Uh, Imagine the darkness. Imagine the noises. It's not like he's sitting there having having a little powwow camp out. He's squeezed and he's in the grossness, the ick, the stink, the smell, the slime, the fish compressing in on him. Those of you who are claustrophobic, you're like, Fitz, stop. Don't go anymore. Those of you who are germaphobes, this is... Like beyond your worst nightmare. And and imagine the undulating and the movement as this fish makes its way through the water. And Jonah is just there in the darkness and the noise and the stink and the gross and the feels. And he has no clue when it's going to end. We get to look back and see how long it took. Jonah had no clue. God's discipline is compassionate and is loving. But our God is not weak. He is not a wimp. And what he does is for our benefit to keep us from ever going back to that place again. For the degree of your discipline, God is hoping to bring you to a place where you never, ever desire to go back to that place. And he will do what it takes to wake you up and to bring you back. Let's go back to Jonah's prayer. Jonah is sinking. He says, I sank down to the very roots of the mountains. I was imprisoned in the earth whose gates lock shut forever. But you, O Lord my God, snatched me from the jaws of death. Continue on. God woke Jonah up, didn't he? He convinced him. Jonah's thinking, like, this is how I'm going to die. But what did God do? God rescued him. And then Jonah goes on. He says, as my life was slipping away, I remembered the Lord. That's a key element of prayer, is to remember God. This is why it's so important for us to be familiar with our Bibles and to know the story of Scripture from Genesis to Revelation. Because it helps us remember who God is, the way God works, the things God is capable of doing, to know what he's done in the past, to remember in our own lives what God has already done so that when we face trouble in the present, we are reminded that this is who God is, this is what he's capable of, he's not done with me yet, and it reminds us that there is a future yet to come that's better than anything we face in this moment. And Jonah says, my earnest prayer went out to you in your holy temple. But I will sacrifice, I will offer sacrifices to you with songs of praise. I love the songs of praise. We could translate that also with great thanksgiving songs. I'm going to sing thanksgiving to you, God. And I will fulfill all my vows. For my salvation comes from where? From the Lord alone. I love this because Jonah is in the belly of the fish. And what's he doing? He's offering thanksgiving to God. In the darkness, in the stink, in the nastiness, in the unknown, in all the fear. And what does he do? He says, I praise you and I thank you for who you are. Wow. What if we were to get there? Can we offer that kind of thanksgiving to God even in the midst of discipline? Can we praise God for the way he disciplines, for what God is up to in our life? Friend, can you give thanks to God for the discipline in your life that he's given you to bring you back to him, even when you don't see the end of it? Can you offer that kind of thanks to God and show gratitude? If we will trust God and trust his timeline and trust his work and trust what he's up to, then maybe, maybe God can take us from the worst place imaginable 
and redeem it to give us a much better future. Jonah chapter 2 ends with this verse. Then the Lord ordered the fish to spit Jonah out onto the beach. And and I don't want to give away what's coming next week and next week's message, but I do just want to give you a little foretaste of what's coming. Jonah 3 begins, Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. This is the way the story begins in chapter 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. And now, here we go, chapter 3, it came to him a second time. I love that. It's such a beautiful picture. Why? Because our God is the God of second chances. Our God is the God of second chances. Friend, there's a second chance for you. No matter how stubbornly you've run, no matter how far you have run from God, no, no matter what kind of mess you have made in your life, no matter what kind of hellish situation you have created with your sin, with your disobedience, with your running from God, with your reluctance to be on board with his mission, no matter any of that, there is a second chance for you. God can bring you from that place and he'll spit you out on the beach. There is more to come. And no matter how bleak your situation looks, remember, our God is the God of the impossible. Miracles are easy for him. Our God is the God of second chances. He has not turned his back on you. No matter how long you've turned your back on him, no matter in what ways you've turned your back on him, if you will stop turning your back on him and turn back to him, he is right there waiting for you. Our God is the God of second chances. Our God has not turned from you. He has pursued you. He loves you. He has not given up on you. So friend, do not give up on him. And if you're at a low place today, maybe the lowest place you've ever been, Maybe you've made a mess of your life. God wants to bring you back from there. He's got a much better future for you. See, the question, friend, is not whether or not God wants to save you. It's not whether he's willing to save you. It's not whether he's able to save you. The question is, I mean, that's all an answer. Yes, yes, yes. God wants to. He's willing to. He's able to. He desires to. The question is whether or not you are humble enough to ask him, will you cry out to him? Even from the pit, even from the belly of the fish, will you cry out with thanksgiving? Will you turn to him? Will you allow prayer to steer you and not just fix the problems? And maybe, maybe there's consequence. Maybe there's consequence when you turn around. Maybe you're going to go from that boat into the sea and from the sea into the belly of a fish. And maybe it's going to look bleak and you're not sure how long it's going to last. But I guarantee you this, God will do what he needs to do to redeem you, to rescue you, and to restore you. I know that's true because I've seen it in countless other lives. I know it's true because I've seen it in my own life. That's what he does. And in that process, he brings us back. And he takes us from the worst places imaginable, from the worst situations imaginable. And he gives us second chances that we never thought were possible because our God is the God of the impossible. And he wants to do that for you. Will you turn to him? Will you ask? Sometimes, sometimes we get hung up right there because we think, well, I just, I, I just want all my problems to go away. But friend, can I tell you, that is not your greatest need. Your greatest need is not for all your problems to go away. Your greatest need is to have Jesus. The greatest need in your life is to walk with Jesus. It's not for your problems to be dismissed. Because a life without problems and without Jesus is only going to have some really bigger problems later on. Your greatest need is to walk with Jesus and to be with him by his side and have him walk with you by your side.
better to have Jesus in the storm than to have a happy day on the beach without him. Your greatest need is to walk with Jesus. And if you are not doing that, if you've never done that, today is the day for you. Will you cry out to God? He wants to save you. He's willing to save you. And and maybe you've already turned him, maybe you follow him, but there are areas of your life. Will you turn from those areas and turn back to God? Today is your day for that. God desires to rescue you from the destruction that you're bringing on yourself. And if you are a person in need of a second chance, I just want to tell you this. You're in the right place. We are people of second chance. There's not a person at this church who doesn't have a backstory. There's not a person at this church who hasn't messed up. There's not a person here who hasn't had multiple second chances already in their life. We are a church of second chances. We are a people of second chances. Our God is a God of second chances. My life is a story of second chances. So if that's you, we want to walk with you through it. God will rescue you from it. God will be with you, and we will too. We are here for you. We are your church. And I just want to let you know, if you're a person of a second chance, if you're in need of a second chance, welcome to the club. Welcome home. This is right where you belong. Let's pray. God, we're grateful that you are the God of the second chance, and we're grateful that you, the creator, sustainer of the world, the one who holds the universe and the galaxies in your hands, will stoop low to hear us and to answer us and to redeem us. That, God, you are the one who chases hard after us. And you'll do whatever it takes to draw us back to yourself. God, thank you for the discipline you've put in our lives. Thank you for the roadblocks you've put in our lives to make it hard for us to go away from you. God, may we turn to you. May we wake each day with desperation for you. God, we're just desperate for you and for more of you. And even if our days look like they're good, God, we still desperately need you. We don't need just to have easy days. God, we need you. We want to walk with you, every single one of us. So God, hear us today as we cry out to you, as we ask you to please continue to do your good work in us, in your church, in us as individuals. And for those who are listening today, for those who maybe for the first time are beginning to turn to you, for those who have walked away, who hit the pause button, but who today are hitting play with you again, who are coming back to you, who say, God, here I am, I'm coming back. God, we ask that, that our church would rally around them. We ask that your mercy would just overwhelm them. God, I pray for courage for those who need to do that, who are reluctant right now. God, give them the courage to say, today I'm in with you, Lord. To stop turning their back on you and to turn back to you. God, thank you that as many times as we do that, you're right there waiting for us, loving us, restoring us. And thanks, God, that no matter how big of a mess we've made, there's a much better future that awaits. And we praise you for that truth. We praise you for the way you work. We praise you for your love. We praise you for your mercy. God, we give you thanks for all the ways you discipline us simply because you love us. We pray it all in Jesus' name.